0: just to preach this message for about three weeks. So with that said, it'll probably fall flat on its face because that's the way sermons do when you get excited about them. I don't know why, but I, they always do. I, I, uh, I always chuckle at that. But I, uh, I, to me, it's one of the great subjects of growing our faith, um, building our faith, and, uh, and it's one of those questions that everybody goes, Preacher, do you believe in? And I go, of course I do. And that is, do I believe in miracles? And I'll look at you and say, yes, I do. Hands down, no question about it, yes, I do. Uh, the question that I have for folks is more like this. Do you want a God-sized miracle in your life? Now, I'm not the miracle worker. Let me say that before we jump in the message very far. I am not the miracle worker. I am not the one who does the work. I, uh, that is not me. But I do believe in a God who does God-sized miracles, and he does them all the time. Matter of fact, any of us that were come to know Christ as Savior, after the age of, let's say, 18, we'll, we'll even be generous and go there. Anybody after that, you are a miracle in more ways than you know statistically. Uh, it is amazing the number of people that uh, when you look at statistics that, that get saved before the age of 18 and how few after the age of 18 and so you start looking at that and you go well there you go so our message tonight second kings chapter number four we're going to read in verses one through seven and and uh faith for a miracle uh, god is in the business of miracles and how many of you believe that god's in the business of miracles today you can say amen it's all right to speak to me a little and uh i can handle it and uh at jesus uh, is the same today, forever, and according to the Bible, uh, if he performed miracles when he was here on earth, he performs miracles today then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so I, no reason to believe any otherwise, and uh, he, uh, it's according to our faith, Jesus said, so be it unto you, faith is expecting the best, Faith is moving against your fear. And you remember those eight uh, uh, that we've, we've talked about. Here's the situation. The Old Testament. Let's grab on to it. The Old Testament where God performed a miracle for one widow. It's a wonderful pattern of how God or how a person believed God and God rescued this person out of a dire situation. And uh, so let's begin reading in chapter number four. Beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in in the house. She said, Thine handmaid. Hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door open, uh, shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out unto or into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, and she shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out, and it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her, Son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said to to her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray together. Father God, I ask that you would add blessing not only to the reading of your word, but Father, I ask that you give words to to say, Lord, that uh, the words that are preached tonight are not mine, but yours. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in our lives to grow our faith today. Uh, and uh, Father, that we would seek you uh, and seek to develop and to grow our faith each and every day. And uh, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, what a picture. A widow with two sons and they have nothing. Now how dire is the situation in the Old Testament of a widow with two sons? Well, number one, they weren't looked upon very favorably. Matter of fact, they were at the mercy of everyone. Not only that, but they didn't have any land that would be their sons because she was, did you notice, her husband had been a prophet wait a minute all of a sudden the situation goes and it's spiraling quickly because you begin to look she had nothing and so because she had nothing and and he had nothing and he had left so we're going to look at the passage and there are five principles that we see here that, that deal with how to have faith for a miracle number one there is a reason for desperation there was a a reason for desperation you know before you can have a miracle there has to be a reason for a miracle he said, well, you know, a preacher, there has to be. You have to come to a point of desperation. There has to be a need before a miracle is going to come. God's not going to do a miracle that you can do by muscle. Let's make sure we, we got that. You know, God's not going to do a miracle in something that you can do on your own. If, we're, if it's a genuine miracle, then it's going to be a God thing. It's not something that, that we've done, but it's what he has done. And uh, so you might remember last week that God said to one man, why should I give you faith? When with, with all you're doing, you can, you can do without my help. All you're asking, you can do without me. You can do with, with your power all that you're attempting. And it's only when we attempt the impossible that we need God's help. It's, it's only when we believe God for the mighty things that we really need the power of God. What, what are, are we attempting for God that needs God's help to do? What am I willing to say, God, I'm ready to step out and go? How am I willing to do so? And the truth is, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So when we try to do anything without God, we find ourselves very frustrated. We find ourselves very weary, find ourselves very worn. And and we find ourselves in in life much older than we should get old. See, we need help from God in in everything in our life, in everyday life. But here's a desperate situation. And the reason is that there's death in the family. She said, my husband died. That means that she's been left a widow. In those days, it was much different than it is now. Now, we, we know that a, a woman can go to work, and often she's already working. And, uh, but in those days, you look and you go, wait a second. She, you realize that today, she can make her own living. And oftentimes, in our modern society, it's not the ideal thing for a woman to be without a husband. But there are an awful lot of ladies that are without a husband and, and they 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 manage. And a woman with children to raise by herself, even more difficult. A man raising children by themselves, not an ideal situation. But it was much graver in that day. See, I I think of single parents in, in the church and ought to be sensitive to. And and the church ought to be willing to help and minister to single parents. You know, because they have a different ministry or a different life all the way through. My mom's not here. I was going to pick on her. Because I know what a difference that it was in our home. Because my mom, my mom would have to go to work. And I remember when we first moved to Florida. She'd get up, and I had to be at school at seven o'clock in the morning. And she left at the same time I left. I'd get home from school, and I greeted myself, and then I wouldn't. I'd be home by myself until sometimes six, seven, eight o'clock at night, for us to do it again the next day. And when things uh, when it went like that, we didn't. It wasn't favorable. And not, not, all, not at all. It wasn't favorable. And then, then I learned something else. I learned, hey, I can make money. I can go push a mower. I can go push a mower. And, and I, I was, you know, I've always been stocky, so it wasn't hard for me to push a mower. You know, in Melbourne, Florida, in the middle of summer, it's hot. <laughs> it's not the job you want to do, especially down there, because you know what they do in the middle of summer in July? They all water their grass. They're crazy people. They have a well and they water their grass and that crazy grass is so thick it's so hard to push your lawnmower through and do you think that i had one that would be easy to push through the grass no because i'm old enough that they didn't have lawnmowers that were easy to push through the grass now we got three of them that were given to us for free and you can walk behind those things and they go you can almost let go of the one and it'll take off on its own it's amazing we look at it and you go you know what it was really difficult And we look, and I've always admired moms and dads who have all by themselves raised their children. I remember one young lady. um, I say one young lady. uh, um, Stacy was in our youth department when we were in Florida, and Stacy uh, has two uh, has two siblings, a sister and a brother that were younger. And I remember that Cindy would bring those kids to church every Sunday night. I don't know why I remember Sunday nights. I know she was there on Sunday morning, but the kids were in junior church. But on Sunday night and Wednesday night, they had to sit with their mama. They had to sit with their mama. And now, I loved Cindy because Cindy would sit back in, in the – she sat about eight or ten pews back. We were about 20 pews deep as a church. And there, she was about eight or ten pews. And all the teenagers had to sit in front. We made them sit in, in the front section. So when we come in, they sat in the front section – And you would hear, and I loved having Cindy sit right behind us because Cindy kept her kids in line. There was no question about it. And I remember one night, it was so funny because there were some boys that were misbehaving. Boys have that knack. Boys were misbehaving, not that girls won't do it, but the boys were misbehaving. And all of a sudden, I heard, (coughs) and you had to see the boys that were sitting in the pew in front of me Garrett was back there and he goes "Mm, you heard him you knew that she just got him and those boys sitting in the pew in front of me that came in on the van their eyes went like this and I looked at them and I said she coming to get you (laughs) their eyes were huge they were not gonna you know I loved having her behind her but you know what that's not the only time she got a hold of Garrett back there and, uh, and it was funny because, you know, you look at me and you go, now, Pastor, that's not very nice. But you know what? I never saw Garrett misbehave for very long without Mama getting a hold of him. You know, I know those three young people. And today I just kind of shake my head. I, uh, I actually told the oldest one. I said, you, uh, your mom's great. And she says, yeah, I know. I said, your mom loved you and loved the Lord. And she says, I know. And it wasn't easy. I said, no, it wasn't easy. She says, but my mom was amazing because she was faithful through it all, through it all. I just, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for single parents that do, They stand up and do so and remain faithful and stick it out in the tough times. That doesn't mean the rest of us that are married need to get, you know, no. Nope. Pure religion and undefiled is this, that we would do what? Visit the fatherless. There's a sermon there I could chase because I go, wait a second. You know what? I look at a generation in a culture today that I believe there are an awful lot of fatherless children. Even though there might be dads in the home, I still will say there are an awful lot of fatherless children that we need to rescue. We need to encourage. We need to help. There you go. There's the side sermon for the moment. Back to Elisha and this widow be looking well in that day is even more serious because society really looked down on on the widow the widow could not go to work she couldn't get a job she's totally at the mercy of the benevolence of her society and how they gave to her often she had to beg for food and she was uh, just at the mercy of whatever people would give to her and this woman's husband we're told there in verse number one of the wives of the sons of the prophets he was a preacher he was a preacher. He was a man of God. And so, you know, he didn't make a lot of money. He was just a, a fairly young preacher. He died, and here she is without a, any income. She had two sons to raise, no visible means of support, and nothing in the house to eat. The cupboards are bare. The cupboards are bare. Not only was there death in the family, in the situation you begin to look and you go, wait a minute, death in the family always tears the family either draws them together or pulls them apart, but you look and you go, the situation. The the situation, uh, this man's situation. Well, he also got into debt. That's why the creditor's there. He was in debt, and and then he died. Not only did he not make much money, but, but it left his wife a debt, and he got sick, and he died, and he left her with two sons to take care of, and... Here was a desperate situation because of the death in the family. Well, not only was there death in the family, but there was this debt that I mentioned, and then the the creditors come, so it gets even more. The creditors come, and the sons are going to have to go serve. And by the way, the word there, those two sons to be bondmen. That's an important word, but as we discover... And we go down through there. And that day, it wasn't just going to to mow yards and make enough money to help out. Her two sons were actually going to be servants. They, uh, I mean, they they were going to be slaves all of their lives until the debt was paid off. They were going. You look and you go, wait, wait a second here. That would take most of their lives. She didn't want her sons to be taken away from her, to be slaves for this man in order to pay this debt. She needed her sons at home. She wanted to raise her sons. So this is a cause of desperation. So how many uh, uh, of us know what uh, that God will often bring us uh, into circumstances or he'll allow us uh, circumstances to come to bring us to a point of desperation so that we can understand what it means to fully depend upon God? Sometimes those circumstances come along and so so that we'll completely depend upon him not not to, to to lighten the load of a circumstance but he'll look at us and say well are you ready to do de- are you ready to trust me now are you ready to trust me now now it may be a desperation brought on by family problems i've seen people who have everything in their life to live for who have every comfort in life every advantage in life come to a point of of desperation because of circumstances in their health and and something happened to their health that money couldn't take care of and all the real estate, all the bonds, all the gold and all the silver just couldn't take care of it. I've seen people brought to a point of desperation because of the problems in their marriage and the problems with their children that all the advantages of life couldn't take care of. I've seen folks that have been brought to the point of desperation because of things happening in their job or in their business and how those things are, are have been brought loose. People lose their, their home and are at a point of, of desperation. You might not think that we're going to get to to ever be at a point of desperation. But I guarantee you, if we don't give God the glory and God the praise for what he's doing in our life and depend upon him, there may be circumstances that arise in our life that get our attention that we would fully depend upon him. I find it amazing because folks go, wow oh, no, God doesn't do the." Wait a minute. Until we are completely dependent upon him. Isn't that what he did for the children of Israel through the whole Old Testament? We could go on and on, the book of Judges, over and over again. Or we'll, let's go back in the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, over and over and over again. And we could take the journey and go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't like that. You, that, That's not easy living preaching. Circumstances. And when that happens, we're going to be like this woman. She cried out to God. She could do nothing else but cry out to the Lord for help. You know, she cried out to Elisha, the man of God. And notice the language in the verse. There cried a certain woman. There cried. She cried out to God. The wives of the sons of the prophets, she cried out to God. Many of you know what it is to cry out to God. You've got a lost one, a lost loved one. You cry out to God. For that individual to come to know the Lord Jesus, she was crying out to God. You said, I've I've got to have help, God. I've done all I can do. I'm at a point of desperation. I don't know what else to do. So secondly, there was a requirement that came. There was a requirement for some examination. The man of God said to her, what do you want? Really? I'm going to put it in a little too simple of a term. But he basically said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? And she had to think again. You know, the first thing we do is we panic. You know, we we think there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I have. My resources are gone. I've used everything I have. I, I don't have anything to fight this battle. I don't I don't have a, a thing to give back to God. I don't have a thing I can use. There's no object of faith that I have. My faith's gone. There's there's nothing I can place my faith in. There's there's nothing I can center on as an object of faith. It's just gone. She thought about her husband and and her husband's oil, and this wasn't just any oil, it was a sacred oil. This was a, a slighted object because she had forgotten. When her husband had died, it was possibly somewhere in the back of the closet. She's like, I, I don't, it was a slighted object, something he she had forgotten about. And you know, maybe we've forgotten about an object that we have. Maybe we've forgotten about the promises of God that are hanging on the wall in our own home. Maybe we, uh, we've we forgotten The word of God that's on the shelf that needs to be dusted off. Maybe we've forgotten some blessing that God's given in the past, or we've forgotten the way that God has has answered our prayer prior to, to this time, or maybe we've forgotten to praise God. We've slighted something that God has done that would be very helpful right now. Maybe we've forgotten. This was also a sacred object. It was no ordinary oil. Oh, it could be ordinary oil. It could have been used to cook food. It could have been used to. In that part of the country, they they used it all the time. It was a staple in life. But this was a sacred pot of oil used by her husband to anoint people, as he prayed for them. Hmm. Used to anoint the prophets. Used in all kinds of religious ceremonies. It was a sacred because it was represented the Holy Spirit in his power, his blessing. It was a sacred object. It was a point of faith. It's also a significant object because it also was a saving object. Through this oil that God was going to bless her, this oil was a channel that God was going to use to send her a blessing and honor her faith and get her out of the disparate situation. See, there was a requirement for examination. What do you have in your home? Have you ever thought about that? What do you have? What do you have? I want to ask you, what what do you have? God asked the question of Moses. Moses said, oh God, I, I can't go and deliver the people. I don't have anything. God said, Moses, what's in your hand? Just a rod, throw it down. He threw it down and it became a serpent. God said, pick it up. Moses picked it up. There's part of that I always like to go, Moses, you're better than me. When it became a serpent, I'm gonna have trouble sticking around. But God told him, pick it up. He picked it up and it became what? It became a rod. Do you remember what the title for that rod was from that day forward? This is really neat. It was no longer Moses' rod. It was the rod of God. You knew that. It was the rod of God. It changed. You go, wait a minute here. The rod of God. And with it, you say, what happened? Well, let's see. The rod of Moses became the rod of God and he could part the Red Sea. He could lead the people. With it he could challenge the gods of Egypt and with it he could go into Pharaoh's court. What had been the rod of Moses became the rod of God. The oil was was the oil of man, but she gave it to God and it became the oil of God. So I'd ask again, what do we have in our hand? What do we have? Well, we have our life. If you throw it down, if we give it to God, he'll give it back to us. Only he'll give us back with power and anointing. He'll give it back to us with with a new fire, a new faith. And what do you have in our hands? What do we have? We have our talents, our abilities. We have our gifts that the Holy Spirit's given to us. Then we ought to throw them down. See, we have a lot to give. Throw it down. God will multiply it and he'll give it back to us. We have love to give. Throw it down. Let Him bring it back to us. What do you have in our hands? What do we have? What resources do we have to give? Give it to God and He'll give you back. Not only that, but He multiplies it. And He told us this that He'd multiply it a hundredfold. A hundredfold. You look at that and you go, well, wait a minute here. That gets pretty exciting. Because we look at it and you say, if I have service to give, you have much to give. Whatever we have, let's give it to God. That's the way to get a miracle in our life. Take whatever we have, give it to God, and give it to God, and he'll give back to us. But when we get it back, it'll have God's blessing upon it. You say, that's when the miracles begin. One God's blessings upon it, he'll give back to us. And when we get it back, it'll have his blessing. It'll have his power. It'll have his victory on it and the principle that's being taught there. So notice number three, that there's not only a remedy, but, but it required a preparation. She had to go prepare. Then he said, go borrow the vessels of all the neighbors, all the empty vessels. There's a famine in the land. You think there were a few? Of course there were. But there's man's obedience, and there's God's omnipotence. He said to borrow vessels, don't borrow a few of them. Borrow a lot of them. Borrow a lot of them. Now, can you imagine if you have one vessel, and somebody says, go borrow a lot of vessels. You've got to be obedient to go do what he said. Think about that for a moment, and we go. Isn't that interesting? I've got to be. I've got to listen enough to do exactly what he said. Go borrow, not just one. Borrow a lot. Borrow a bunch. You realize that took not only a, 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 a obedience, but begin to look and and borrow all the vessels you can find. That was preparation. So she obeyed. She went out. She got all the vessels she could. This was obedience. It was God's job to fill the vessels up. It was her job to do what? Borrow the vessels. Now obedience always comes before omnipotence. God will not do my miracle that I can do by muscle. But before the children of Israel won the victory at Jericho, God sent the walls crashing down. They had to be prepared for the miracle in Jericho. We have to prepare for the miracle, before the miracle comes, by obeying God, whatever he tells us, whether it's it's giving, whether it's serving, whether it's prayer, in faith, we've got to obey. We obey by moving out, by launching forth, doing what God says, whatever it is. Here we go. Joshua 3:5. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. So that they set themselves apart. They They, they had to pray. They had to anoint themselves. They had to get ready. You remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus and Lazarus. Woohoo! Get ready. Jesus stood by the tomb saying to those that were around, "What? Roll the stone away." That's what he said to do. Roll the stone away. Wait a minute. Jesus could have just said, "Bam!" and the stone could have been blown to pieces. Impressive. Yeah. But it didn't have to work that way, did it? So they had to be obedient and roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. He wanted them to demonstrate faith. So he said, roll the stone away. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. They could roll the stone away, the door by muscle. But the miracle was done when he raised Lazarus. Only he could raise the dead. So they did what he commanded. Then he did what only he could do. Obedience and omnipotence, they worked together. They worked together. You find the principle all the way through the Word of God. This woman could get empty vessels, but only God could fill them up. Um, obedience and omnipotence. Only we can give what we can give, and only God can meet the goal. Then there was the response of cooperation. <laughs> Verse number four. It says, "When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon the sons, and pour out all, uh, or pour out into all those vessels." and thou shalt set aside that which is full. <laughs> I have to be honest, I sat the, the other day I was reading this and I sat in my office trying to figure out how could I do this? How could I literally run just a little hose up through here so that we could do a visual aspect of this miracle in a way that everybody would go, what, by taking jugs and filling them with water and run a water line up to it so that we could do it. And then, you know, no, it's not a miracle that we did. It was just an illustration. But how cool would it be? I'm thinking to myself, though, I'm going, this lady saw it for real, though, here. Do you realize it's the same miracle that happened when Jesus fed the 5,000? That's the same miracle. He hadn't changed. Those fish and those loaves and all those people. Here she does, she takes and she starts to pour. And she pours. And she starts filling those 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 vessels. And when it's full, set it aside. When it's full, set it aside. I'm wondering how long it took. Doesn't tell us. Now I've had teenagers. And lots of kids around. She had two sons. I wonder if they understood how dire the situation is, they weren't complaining near as much, right? But I can still see them complaining. When's this going to stop, Mom? As they're pouring into the vessels. I look at that and I just shake my head because I'm going, to look at where they are. There had to be the cooperation. And God often tells us to give away when it doesn't make sense. When it doesn't make sense. Give when when this is all I have. God, that doesn't make sense. Give when I have so little. Shouldn't I hold back for myself? The prophet said, give. Pour it into jars. Pour it all in there. So she began to pour. Had a little old little bitty vessel. And she began to pour into that big old pot. And she poured. And. That big pot began to fill up. She kept pouring out of that little tiny vessel and into the big old pots. And you can imagine how her eyes began to get bigger, how big her son's eyes were getting. And and, and bring me another one, bring me another one, bring me another one. Remember, she she brought as many as she could find in the entire neighborhood. There was famine in the land. You know there's a lot of empty pots around. She had jars and jars full of this expensive oil worth a lot of money. She shut the family in. The oil was poured out. The vessels were filled up. She was cooperating with God. And when you cooperate with God, 2 Corinthians tells us what will happen. Philippians 4.19 tells us what will happen. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. There's the result of liberation. She was liberated from her debt. She, she was liberated from her poverty. She was liberated from her desperation. And look at the result in number five. You, you see that in, it, uh, it comes to pass in verse number six. It says, And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her, her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said, There's not a, 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 not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. She said, This was wonderful. You can't get any more vessels? Are you sure? There aren't any more vessels? Mom, we've already been there. We've already been to so-and-so. We've already been there. Did you look in the cellar? Did you look on the back porch? We got all the vessels, Mom. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he, he said, There's not another one. And the oil stayed. As soon as she kept pouring out, watch this, as soon as she stopped pouring, what happened with the oil? It stopped. It was empty as soon as she kept, as soon as she stopped giving out. There was no more oil. You know, as soon as we stopped giving out, we stopped receiving. Somebody says, well, I'm going to quit going to church. Go ahead. You only hurt yourself. You'll be the loser. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tighten up. Things are hard. Well, the Bible says, he that soweth sparingly will reap sparingly. He that soweth abundantly shall reap abundantly. See, it's a principle of life. If you want to, if you want love, then you got to give love, right? If you want time, you've got to give time. If you want ministry, you got to give ministry. You want a harvest, you got to plant a seed. Got to plant a seed. See, the only way that we have have a lot of folks walking the aisle, you say, is because why? You got to sow the seed, right? For folks to come to know Jesus, we got to sow the seeds. more seeds you sow, the more results you have. The more people we invite, the more pews will be filled. See, God's word teaches that. It's just a principle that God set in the universe. That's, it's the way it works. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He'll provide for all our needs. It isn't that he did uh, what he did for this woman, or uh, it, that is what he did for this woman. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, the scripture tells us there, he that ministers seed to the sower both ministers bread for your food and multiplies your seed sown and increases the fruit of your righteousness. That's what he did for her. Then she came and she told the man of God, and he said, go, Sell the oil, pay the debt, live, and thy children of rest. You look at that and you say, what did he do? There was enough oil for her debt. There was enough oil for her desires. There was enough oil for her dependence. She had everything she needed. God met all of her needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. She was liberated. Yeah. Now, If you got an oil field in your backyard, you don't care if gas goes to $5 a gallon, right? Most of us don't. You go, you know, she needed was already there. It's already in her heart. That's what the Bible says about you and I. Those things that we desire so much, we already have. Ephesians 1 says we've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings always found that amazing, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible says God promises have already been given to us, and all we have to do is claim them by faith. God's miracles have already been made available to us by faith. God didn't put any limit on this woman. The only limit he put on her is the limit that she had put on herself. He said, you borrow all the vessels you want to borrow. Borrow them all. The number of vessels that God filled were the number of vessels she brought in. And God will put a limit on our life. No, he doesn't. God doesn't cap it. Say, well, you're only allowed so many. Vi- Pastor Pat's only allowed so many blessings. No, well, that's not the way God works. He doesn't put a limit on our achievements. He does not put a limit on our on how he blesses us. You realize we put the limits on ourselves. I can tell you by the authority of God's word that we cannot outgive God. We just it's not possible. It's not possible. He absolutely puts no limit on his church either. On his church. He puts no limit on his people. It's according to our faith. So be it unto us. We pour out our our life, God pours into us. As we pour out our time, God pours into us. As we pour out our strength, God pours into us. God will not be a debtor to us. He's a good God, a gracious God, a God of blessing and of power. He's a God that wants to bless. He has no favorites. His blessings are much for a person on the lower level of economics as much as the higher level. He just has a different way of blessing people on every level. But one person is as important as another to him. He is no respecter of persons, and everybody is a somebody in the body of Christ. And everybody's needed in the body of Christ. Everybody's important in the body. Did you know in the tabernacle, Did you know in the tabernacle there were all of those pieces and parts? You look and you go, there were all the pieces, there were all the parts, and it's made. uh, the tabernacle was made of boards, and they were covered with gold. You might remember it covered with gold. Each one of those boards was exactly the same height, exactly the same height. Every board stood at the same height, and you know what that meant? That was a picture of the church, the body of Christ, number one. They were all covered with gold. They were precious. Number two, they were all the same height, standing shoulder to shoulder. They were all equal. Everybody in the church, precious and pure gold. Everybody in the church, the same, equal in the body of Jesus. And we ought not to ever forget that. See, we're entitled to a miracle as much as anybody, no matter who we are. God God will, for, will, will give us faith to know today that a miracle of God is waiting for us. A miracle of God is waiting for the church. And if the church will stand shoulder to shoulder, believing God, having faith in God, God has great things for us in the days ahead. I'm looking forward to it. Preacher. I look at this and I look and I go, isn't it funny? Miracles upon miracles upon miracles. If I stood here and I began to tell stories, you'd say, preacher, you can stop preaching about 30 minutes ago. I think of a lady by the name of Betty. I remember she lost her husband. She's a widow. She needed help cleaning out a shed, and I went over to help clean the shed told me i love tools i love the hand and tools and, and i love to work in the shop and she told me she said i'll give you a couple of tools several tools to help clean out where my husband and her husband was a woodworker and she said i'll do that as payment for what you're doing i said all right i still have the the drill press that she gave me years ago 25 years ago yeah a long time ago but I'll tell you what was really interesting about it is, to me, was at the time that we were doing that, we were going through faith promise in our church. She, made, she ultimately had made a promise to God and said, "God, I, I'd like you to, I'd like to give this. By faith, I'm going to give this this next year." When we cleaned out her husband's tools and she had sold, them, sold many of them, and, and by the end of it, simplify this thing down, it was really neat because she gave she promised more than she could afford to give. But she sold what her husband had in the shop, and she gave more than she promised. And I've always thought of Betty. Every time I think of you can't outgive God, and I think of Betty, because you know what else is interesting? Is, is the poor lady she had nothing. I mean, she had nothing, and God brought her a sweet man. About two years later, she was faithful in and, and our church, and God brought a sweet man to our church, and he loved the Lord. And next thing you know, we were having a wedding for Betty, and that sweet gentleman took care of her all the way till she went home to be with the Lord. And I remember one of Betty's statements when uh, when we got ready to leave Melbourne. I remember her telling me we. Gave me a hug, and she goes, "Thank you for helping me during a tough time, and the blessing that I was, and, and working with her." But lots of other things were said. But one of the, the pieces stood out in my mind was she said, "And thanks for teaching me, helping me learn The God, you can't outgive Him." She's she says, "Abundantly above all I can." said, I'd never give up my first husband, not for not a day, even today. But what he gave her in a second husband was amazing. She says, I just, I don't deserve what God's done. You know, I look and I say, thank you, Lord, for seeing those testimonies. We could talk about deliverance physically, seeing folks healed physically. Not every watch folks put it all out there and say it's time. Folks that put it all out there that others might come to know Christ as Savior. Wow. I think of a gentleman in Columbus right now. I love it every time my phone rings when he calls. He is the director of Jacob's Ministries. I just shake my head. God has come alongside. They now have a church that's almost 200 people that started a year ago. He was joking. He said, the average person doesn't want to come to our church because we're all broken. I said, you know, I'd probably think a lot more of us probably need to come to your church. Broken. Addict. system they've gone through their counseling they've put them in a home they've won them to Christ and they're holding them accountable and it is so neat see God's blessed their church they didn't intend on starting a church and God's blessed the church but not only is there a church that's there that they're meeting in they are now getting ready to buy another building God's given them the financing to be able to do so. And they've bought some rundown buildings. I mean, you just, the first one I looked at for him was a dump. Just a dump. And they fixed it up, they did the work. And they house eight people in that house now. And then move them over and move them over. It's just a neat thing. And he said, I didn't have much. God, I thank you for this widow, that we can look and we can see how you used Elisha in her life. Not only that, how you worked, she didn't have much, but she gave all she had. She gave what she had. not to hold back but to be obedient things and